Welcome to Spilling the Crime, a true crime podcast hosted by... Me, Umberto Melo. And me, Jonas Grancha. Join us in this big adventure where we will be talking about crimes with a tipsy twist. How this crime happened, I want to know what the fuck is the unwrapped chocolate. Her name is Sharma Melgenlings. Magma... Magmar? Magmar Meningitis? What? Where's the dick, Lorena? Where is the dick? Oh! Yes. Are those your enemies? <laughs> Are they after me too? <laughs> Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and then he masturbated on the carpet. <laughs> Dangerous I mean, yeah, questions. No, yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> we do not agree with this. <laughs> Carl said that. Don't compare. Hey, what? Don't copyright us! Don't copyright us, yes, please don't block us. So, grab your glass, because this feeling is about to begin. Hi, Mom. Hi, Bailey. How are you doing? I'm good, and I'm glad we're back for episode 14. Wow, episode 14. That means next week we have to do something big for number 15. Well, technically, this is number... 16. 16. Holy so. wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you count the two bonus episodes. Mm -hmm. So today we're flipping things around again. Yep. Just and... rustling back and forth for who gets to be first. <laughs> <laughs> and I am going first today. Mm hmm. That means that I have a bad story, mm -hmm. and I don't always want to just do one intensive story, so here's a list of the shit you should know. Okay. <laughs> All of us who are interested in true crime know how scary this world can be. Mm -hmm. There are so many evil people in the world, and so many terrible crimes that are always being committed. And as I've shown in some of my stories, sometimes the bad guy gets clobbered in the spot during the crime, sometimes they get away. But when they get arrested and they get sentenced, we want to breathe a sigh of relief knowing that they're now under the watchful eye of authority so we don't have to worry about them anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Maybe. Some of the time, we know that sometimes the wheels of justice seem to miss the perpetrators and sometimes their sentencing isn't as strong as the crime should require. So let's talk about some of those. Okay. Let's talk about some of the people who committed terrible crimes, who were sentenced and who were released, and who are still walking among us today. All right. I have listed these in descending order by age of the perpetrator. Okay, so you're starting at the oldest first? That's right. Got it, okay. So as some may remember, we did an episode where Bailey reviewed the case of Vincent Lee. Lee was the man who at the age of 40 went off his psychiatric medication and on a bus trip across Canada, he had a psychotic episode where he suddenly attacked a young man named Tim McLean who was just trying to travel across the country to see his family during his week off work. Mm -hmm. The essence of the attack was one of the most brutal murders I've ever heard of. Lee stabbed, dismembered, decapitated, and cannibalized parts of Tim's body during a four-hour attack on a Greyhound bus. Mm -hmm. Lee was sentenced to a high-security mental health facility where he worked his way up to supervised off-site visits and then unsupervised off-site visits and finally he was released in 2015. He was granted what Canadian law calls an absolute discharge meaning that they feel he does not pose any significant safety threat. He has changed his name to Will Lee Baker and is no longer under any supervision by Canada but if I lived next door to Will Lee Baker I think I would be a little concerned. Yeah 
And I'm glad you looked that up because I knew it was Will something when I did that story. And I totally could not remember. And I understand that legally he has a right to live his life without anybody knowing that's him. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, but legally Tim McLean had the right to live and not yeah, be I just feel like that was brutalized. such a brutal crime. I just don't know how you just forgive that and Mm-mm. go on. Nope. Issei Sagawa is also very well known. In 1981, at the age of 32, he befriended Renee Hartevelt in Paris, mainly because he admired her good health and beauty. He felt that he was unattractive and he was very short. He was four foot nine. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be around people who were tall and beautiful and healthy. So just attracted to the opposite. Basically. All right. Well, she was at his home one night for dinner. He shot her in the neck with a rifle, mutilated her body, cannibalized her, and performed acts of necrophilia on her corpse over a several-day period. So were they seeing each other? No, they were just friends. Jesus, okay. But he thought that by eating the parts of her that he found beautiful, that he would become attractive and he would be taller. She was five foot ten and he was four foot nine. He performed these acts of necrophilia and cannibalized her for several days, and then he was caught in the act of attempting to dispose of the remains that he had not eaten. French police arrested him and confiscated the two suitcases of Renee's remains that he was trying to go dump in a lake. He was held in pretrial detention for two years, and because he was found legally insane, He was deported to Japan, and the French charges were then dropped. He was committed to an institution in Japan where the psychologist, under the influence of Sagawa's wealthy father, he was deemed sane and he was released. Since the French charges had unfortunately been dropped upon his deportation, Mm -hmm. Japanese authorities now had no legal reason to detain him, and he has remained free since 1986. God, I hate those loopholes that people... Yeah, they just, if France had not dropped the charges, then Japan could have said, you're charged for this in that country. But why would Japan just let him back in then? I wouldn't want him back in my country. Well, he was a citizen of Japan. So he had for years, after 1986, for years profited from books that he wrote about the murder of René. Although publishers now have shunned him and he can no longer make any money and get anyone to publish these books. He was also a known figure in exploitative commercials and advertisements, sometimes posing over a plate, holding a fork and knife with his face in a horrific, leering grimace. Just like a cannibal. Who is paying for this? People were using him. It was like a pop culture thing for a while. Sagawa was said to have complained in 2011 that being forced to make a living while being known as a murderer and cannibal was a terrible punishment. Well, you know what? I wonder how Renee Hardevelt's career has been going since 1981. Seriously? I wonder how her family's managed for the last 41 years, knowing that this guy is free to do whatever he pleases. Not to mention, your daddy's rich, honey. Your life can't be that fucking hard. Well, his parents died, and I don't believe they left him any money. I think they probably left it to his brother. Good! (laughs) Yeah, I think they left it to his brother, and the brother is kind of taking care of him because he's got some medical issues, but other than that, I think the brother is trying to be hands-off. Don't blame him. Me neither. Most true crime followers also know who Carla Homolka is. She was married to Paul Bernardo, and together the two of them raped and murdered three women, Leslie Mahaffey, Kristen French, and even Carla's own sister, Tammy Homolka. Mm-hmm. In fact, Tammy Homolka's assault, which took place after the pair drugged her, was videotaped by Carla and Paul so that they could later relive it. 
And Paul Bernardo has continued to admit even more crimes than he was convicted for. So the likelihood that Carla was also complicit in those is very high. Mm-hmm. So 23-year-old Carla had made a plea deal with the Crown because this was in Canada. She was only 23? At this time, yeah. When she got caught. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. She made a plea deal with the Crown in her trial where she placed most of the blame on Paul and she received a sentence of only 12 years. She was released in 2005 and changed her name to Leanne Teal. She married Terry Baudelaire and lives a nice, normal, happy life in Quebec with their three children. When she began to volunteer at her children's school, there was a public outrage that forced the school to stop allowing her to volunteer near their I children. I can't imagine why. Seriously. God. She complains about the publicity and claims that she was a victim of Paul Bernardo because she was young and desperate for a relationship. Well, you know what? We've all been young and we've all really wanted a relationship. But how many of us would kill our own sister to keep a man happy? She literally offered her up. Yes. Like, that's yes. such bullshit. Yeah, she acted like she was a piece of currency. <sighs> the courts have rejected her efforts to prohibit the press from revealing her new name and location of residency as long as they don't reveal her home address. I tried to find the reaction of her parents to this whole situation, seeing as she murdered their daughter, but I couldn't find anything about how they felt about her short prison sentence. And I don't know if there was anything available at the time, the sentence, but... I wouldn't be shocked if they went off and changed their name, too, because I'd be like... Can't even imagine. Want nothing to do with... Yuri Straka attacked 11 women in Prague in what is now Chechia, or Czech Republic, but was then Czechoslovakia, between February and August of 1985. He killed the first two women by beating them, also hitting one of them with a cobblestone. His third victim, he shoved into some bushes, raped her, knocked her unconscious, crammed her panties along with rocks and dirt into her mouth, and packed leaves in her nose to suffocate her. Then he covered her body with dirt and left her to die. His fourth victim was a middle-aged woman whom he knocked down, knelt on her neck while tying a string around it, and then she passed out. After she was unconscious, he realized that she was older than he thought, and so he didn't want to rape her. He just robbed her and left her. But he wasn't satisfied with this, so he grabbed a 30-year-old doctor, pounded her face until she passed out, raped her while unconscious, and strangled her with her bra straps. He robbed her body and left her. Jesus Christ. Twelve days later, he went into a greengrocer's, raped and strangled the shopkeeper, and robbed her body, then calmly left the store, as if nothing had happened. I say all of this to illustrate his violence towards women. At the time he committed these crimes, he was 16 years old. Oh. He felt no remorse. He was tried for three murders, two attempted murders, five rapes, three robberies, and five thefts. As a minor, he was not eligible for the death penalty, and the law only allowed him to be sentenced to 10 years. In the ninth year of his sentence, he was reevaluated and then sent to a mental health facility where he stayed until 2004. Yuri Straka was released in 2004, changed his last name to Novak, and moved away from Prague. It's reported that he now lives near the border with Poland with his wife and has not had any further trouble with the law over the last 18 years. So he did turn his life around and became a non-violent citizen, but his parents nonetheless later commented, it would have been better for the family if he had just been executed. And I can't decide how I feel about that statement. I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a horrible thing to say, but on the other hand, after what he put that family through and yeah. all those other families, I see where they I would... I mean, imagine having Ted Bundy as your child, basically. Right. Like, sometimes it's just easier to be like, I wish he would 
never had been born, you know? Yeah. So, and a lot of people wish that he had never been born <sighs> because of all of the terrible things that he and did to people. how do people like this get married? I Who is marrying know. these people? Well, look how many serial killers in prison get naked yeah. photos from women and get love letters from people who are just infatuated with their fame. See, I almost understand that more. In a way, not like I would do it, but in a way that the protection aspect is there. They're not going to get out and come be obsessed with you outside in the world. They're not going to be able to rape you. They're not going to be able to do the things that they're known to do. However, this guy is out of prison. He's out of all of that. And who's just like, oh yeah, I feel safe sleeping next to you at night. Yeah, okay, I can see that. That blows my mind. Yeah, well, I can't imagine wanting anything to do with any of them. Mm -mm. In 1998, Mitchell Johnson and Andrew Golden were 13 and 11 years old, respectively, when they committed what was then a tie for the second deadliest school shooting in the U.S. They were students at Westside Middle School in Jonesboro, Arkansas, the year before the Columbine High School mass murder. They took guns from Andrew Golden's grandfather's house, pulled the fire alarm after lunch at school, and stood outside the door, ambushing the students and teachers as they evacuated the school. Students Paige Herring, Stephanie Johnson, Brittany Varner, and Natalie Brooks, all ages 11 and 12, as well as teachers Shannon Wright were murdered, and 10 other people were injured. At the time of this crime, Arkansas law did not allow minors to be charged as adults, so the maximum sentence that could be handed down was 10 years. Both were released upon their 21st birthdays, having served 7 years and 9 years respectively. Although the year after the trial, the law was changed to allow tougher sentencing for juveniles who commit such serious crimes. They were the only two U.S. school shooters to have been released from prison. Upon his release, Golden changed his name to Drew Grant, then moved to Missouri and later died in a head-on collision in 2019 that injured his wife and two-year-old child. Hmm. The wife and child survived. Again, how in the hell did anybody see this guy and say, I want to marry him? I just don't get it. (sighs) Mitchell Johnson, however, shortly after having been released, began a string of arrests for drug possession and theft charges, and he's been in and out of jail ever since. But he cold-bloodedly murdered four children and an adult, and now... He's simply free to live his life. He chooses to live it outside the law, Mm -hmm. but he still is free to do it whenever he's not in jail for drugs or theft. So did they even have any kind of parole period after? I think think he'd be right back in jail. I think not, because it was a juvenile conviction, and I believe all the records were physically destroyed after they were released. I mean, it makes sense, but it's like Vince Lee. It's just not an extreme thing like this. Yeah, if you are that Mm cold-blooded at that young an age, what makes anybody think you're going to become a nice, socially conscious, empathetic, kind person? Mm -hmm. Which brings me to the last example I'm going to tell you about. Oh boy, I'm (laughs) scared now. Amarjeet Sada lived in Mushahar, India, and in 2006, he was eight years old. Amarjeet has the dubious distinction of being the world's youngest known serial killer. He planned, carried out, and covered up the murders of his own eight-month-old sister, then his six-year-old cousin, and then a neighbor's six-month-old baby. He readily confessed that he had strangled the baby and smacked her with a brick, and then he led detectives to where he had buried her. After this confession, he also gleefully confessed to the murders of his sister and cousin, which had not been reported to the police, by the way, because his family thought it was a family matter. What? 
Yeah. So if <laughs> they had gone to the police and said our son killed our baby, and then our son killed, so our... they knew he had done it. It wasn't just the baby who just mysteriously was. Oh no! Vanished. His family knew that he had done it. What the fuck is wrong with people? So if they had reported it, then this third baby would have never been murdered. <sighs> So he gleefully confessed to the murders of his sister and cousin, and he seemed to have no idea that there was anything wrong with his actions. Later diagnosis led to the conclusion that Amarjeet had a psychopathic conduct disorder that doctors suggested could be hereditary, and that his difficult childhood working from a very young age had caused him to grow up without any sense of right and wrong or any empathy towards others. He was tried in juvenile court, and since Indian law only allows children to be sentenced to a maximum of three years, that was his sentence. Three years. Some reports have speculated that he was then placed in a juvenile mental health facility after his sentence ended, but he would have become free at the age of 18 to leave the facility and carry on his life wherever he chose. His current whereabouts are unknown. So according to the Yale University article, Can Psychopaths Be Cured? published in 2014, I will quote, To the best of our knowledge, there is no cure for psychopathy. No pill can instill empathy. No vaccine can prevent murder in cold blood. And no amount of talk therapy can change an uncaring mind. Mm -hmm. For all intents and purposes, psychopaths are lost to the normal social world. In other words, Amarjeet most likely has the same lack of empathy and still has no sense of right and wrong as he did when he was eight. Mm-hmm. Only now he's bigger, stronger, and smarter, and he's free in the world. And these are only a handful of cases that can be found. That's crazy. I... How safe do you feel now? I mean, I've never felt safe, but that could be a hazard of the job. But <laughs> <laughs> It's just crazy to me how many of these cases there are. And you know what? I understand the concept of they did their time. You know, they were sentenced and they did what was required of them. Okay. But none of these people, do I believe, are now harmless. Reformed. Yeah. It's just, you uh, can't it's hard to come back from a certain point. Yeah, you can't reform a psychopath. You mm-hmm. might be able to get them to understand that they will be punished if they do more crimes. Yeah. And maybe they'll care about that, but they don't care about the crime and how it affects the victims or the families of the victims. Well, in such light sentences, they're not helping them out by not teaching them the lesson of, hey, you do this, you're going to be in prison and not have freedom anymore. Exactly. They're not learning that lesson. That's literally the only lesson you can teach them, basically. And and I think that that's why you see a lot more these days of mm-hmm. incidences of juvenile tried as an adult. At least in the U.S., you're seeing more of that. And I don't know what the situation is around the world. If you guys can give us any enlightenment on that, that would be great. Um, It would be really hard for us to go research every Every single country. (laughs) (laughs) But we would love to know more about it in the meantime. Yeah, so. I am really frustrated by all of these. Mm -hmm. It's really frustrating. I know, that last one, I can't believe... It's, I'm mind blown. It's a family matter. I'm sorry. Jerry cheated on his wife and now they're seeking counseling is a family matter. Yeah. Not, oh, all of our babies keep getting murdered by this eight-year-old. That's just... Yeah, and we just don't want to bring shame on the family. <laughs> what the hell? So we're not going to report it. <sighs> but that's that. That's that. What are you doing today? Today, I have a survival story for you. Okay, so how awful is this survival story going to be? Pretty 
awful. Pretty awful. I'll be honest with you. Is it 19 people are burned alive and then one person escaped? No. Okay. Okay. So less than that and we have we have hope. However, this survival story, the last one I did was in Utah, if you remember. Yes. This one's also in Utah. <laughs> Good God, girl. I need to get you a map. You need to see more of the country. Well, um... <laughs> Hilarious, because I've never been to Utah. I've never been to Utah. I guess it's time. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of listeners in Utah, so maybe if one of you guys can give us a guest room, we'd be happy to come. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm sure you... After what I just told in this story, you want strangers staying at your house. (laughs) All right, go. We're going to start out... People in this story are Brienne and Kaylee Leslie. They are two sisters... Brienne is the older one. She goes by Brie, so from this point forward, I'm just going to call her Brie. And then Kaylee is five years younger than Brie. And this is also the same start to the last Utah it, story. Oh my god, I didn't even notice it's two sisters again. Okay. Almost the same two sisters. That's two so, sisters that happen to live how together. How unusual is that? Unbelievable. Anyway. <laughs> okay, I believe at this point Brie was 25 and her younger sister Kaylee was 20. Okay. They had lived together their entire adult life. They'd always been roommates. However, about a week before this incident happened, they had gotten a notice from their landlord. It was called Wednesday. And he said, Monday, you guys need to be out. I sold the place. Holy crap. So they were like, uh, crap. And so they kind of scurried around Salt Lake City, which is where they lived, to try to find a little cool rental. Yeah. And luckily they found this duplex. They made it sound like it was a split level. So you walk in on the first floor and then you go upstairs. That's the second floor. And then the downstairs basement is another floor. Mm -hmm. They ended up finding this place and it was pretty cheap and they got a pretty good deal on it so they were like ecstatic and so they moved in and that's where this all starts okay on september 23rd 2015 kaylee was out but brie the older sister was home alone and she had the upstairs bedroom and then her younger sister had the downstairs in the basement bedroom okay so brie was upstairs in her bedroom and she had the window just kind of cracked open she said they had painted over the window which hmm, i wonder what that's like hmm. so she could only open it <laughs> a couple inches Oh, they can open them at all. Yeah, so she said they had to do quite some forcing open. But it's important to know it won't open very wide. So it's only open probably a couple inches at this point. She's sitting there working on her computer in a room, and suddenly she just heard something outside her window. It sounded like a voice, but she couldn't make out what it said, and she kind of paused her music, and she put her ear up to the window to see if she could hear anything else. But after a couple minutes, she was like, I didn't hear anything else, so I just kept working but she kept her music off just in case you know okay this duplex was also shared but her neighbor was a 70 year old woman and she was pretty sure that lady wasn't trying to kill her so she was like i don't think that's her and they also had a seven foot fence around the property so they were pretty okay airtight safe in this place or so she thought i was gonna say nothing is airtight. <laughs> doesn't seem safe. like it you're on this podcast so <laughs> So after that all happened, Bree's sister Kaylee ended up coming home just a little bit later. I think they said it was about 11 o'clock at night at this point. Mm -hmm. But she came home with her boyfriend, and then a little bit after that, her boyfriend left. So now it's just, again, the two sisters in their respective rooms. Okay. And the old lady next door. And the old lady next door. We don't really know where she is. She doesn't ever come back up in this story. Okay. So a little bit after midnight, Brie was finishing one last email. She'd already turned off all the lights in her room and everything. She was in her underwear at this point. She's just sending one final email and then going to bed. But as she's sending this email, she heard a male voice in a soft tone say, Hey girl, I'm coming in. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, I don't like it. 
So not knowing what the hell's going on, she turned around and looked towards her window, which, fun fact, is seven and a half feet off of the ground. So this dude had to pull up into it. Yeah, he to even be just able to grabbed him. Yeah, I think they said at some point they found that he had moved a stool that had been out in the backyard up to the window and jumped up from yeah. that. But she saw this man pulling himself up there and forcing the window the rest of the way open, which she thought she was pretty safe. Why didn't safe. she kick him in the face? Well, she was panicked. She literally just froze and didn't know what... I uh, I wouldn't know what to do if I saw that for You kick him in the face! <laughs> yeah. Actually, the next line is, she tried to get to him in time to push him out, but it was too late. And by the time she got over to where he was in her room, he immediately began just punching her in the face and stomach. Oh, holy crap. Hell no. So I want you to keep in mind as I'm telling the story, everybody in this house is pretty much getting into bed. All the lights are out. There's not a single light on this entire house. But so the, the guy... house is dark, the house is quiet, mm-hmm. and now this is going on, but... Apparently no one's heard her yet. Well, she hasn't even screamed yet. She's just kind of silent. Thumping and the bumping of having the footsteps and... I know, but... I think somebody to hear something going on. So, like I said, he immediately began punching her in the face and stomach. She began to offer him her belongings, like her keys and her laptop and her car and stuff like that. And Not she's like... chocolate shake. Yeah, you can have whatever you want. And telling him, just take it. I don't care. I won't tell anybody. And he ends up saying, I don't want that. I only want you. So at that point, she knew exactly what he was there for. So at this point, she's like, oh my god, he doesn't know my sister's downstairs, so I gotta make sure he doesn't find out. She then looks over to her window, notices this guy's like six foot two, 210 pounds, and she's about my size. She's not a big girl. Brie realized that he was too big to push him out of that window because he had crawled in kind of MacGyvered himself through the little space that was available, but there was no way she herself was going to be able to push him back out. But she did know that in the dining room, which is right outside of her bedroom door, it had a huge window in there that she could get him out of if she really just got him into that room somehow. Okay. So she starts it took pulling. A running start. Yeah, well, she starts pulling at him and kind of, like, backing into the dining area. But she said that he had shaved off all of his hair and was smooth as a baby. So she couldn't even get a grip on his arm and stuff to pull him. So this guy clearly what? had this whole situation planned somehow. He was a swimmer. Or some, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> During that fight, they are now in the dining room area. The man threw Bree in front of the entry to the basement door, which made a loud bang, and that alerted her sister, who's downstairs now, that something's going wrong And upstairs. hopefully she will call somebody instead of running upstairs and trying to help. Well. All right, um, let me just shut up. <laughs> tell the story yeah (laughs) kaylee hears this she runs up the stairs from the basement and also began attacking the man now seeing that okay her sister was in dire need still two against one still two against one but standing in the doorway brie she kept telling herself in her head don't let him take you to a second location because while we're upstairs where you could scream people could see us through the window stuff like that So she hunkered down with her knees against the doorway. Okay. And so that way he could push against them, but she wasn't going to budge. And she didn't want them to end up in the basement. So she's just bracing herself in the opening. She's bracing herself against the opening, just trying to get him back out of the opening. So Bree is standing in the doorway to the basement. Her sister Kaylee was standing on the first step down behind her kind of further into the basement. Again, Bree's the older sister, so she's trying to stop any blows from coming towards Kaylee. She's just 
doing her big sister thing. However, the man ended up kicking past Brie and hit Kaylee and kicked her into the basement so hard that she made it all the way to the bottom of the stairs, not hitting a single stair on the way down. Yeah. So then as she got to the bottom, her head actually went through the drywall, which sounds fucking awful. However, as she told the story, Brie later said she actually got really lucky because that was the only wall in this entire house that was not made of brick. Wow. Yeah, if you hit a small spot on drywall with mm-hmm. just the right angle and stuff, you can you can go through it without damaging yourself too badly. There. <laughs> so it's not that hard to do. Yeah. It's not that hard to do. No, she really could have been seriously injured from going through that still. I'm not well, saying that. She could that. have hurt her neck even if she didn't hurt her head. Yeah, a lot of doctors said that she was lucky she was not paralyzed from that mm-hmm. blow. But even after this horrible fall down the stairs, Kaylee ended up bolting right back up and ran back up the stairs to help Brie out. Because... Wow. She was not going down. Adrenaline is good stuff. Yes. Yeah, seriously, you'll see that a lot in the story. (laughs) She runs back up the stairs to help Bree fight off the man, but he eventually ended up kind of pushing them both in a cluster back down the stairs. But luckily, Bree was holding onto his leg, so he tumbled down with that. Okay. Lucky or not lucky, I don't really know, because now he's down there with you, but (laughs) at least you heard him a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, maybe he's gotten a little shaken up now yeah somehow brie as they're on the landing down at the bottom of the basement stairs realizes oh my god this whole time i've been in such a panic i forgot i have my phone in my hand she's still holding she's still holding the phone (laughs) and somebody said i think it was on murder with my husband i didn't see it on any articles but she said it briefly in that podcast she you know those little wrist handles that they have on some phone cases Mm -hmm. she had that so even as she was punching him and hitting him multiple places it's just it's still flapping around on her wrist (laughs) so she realizes this and so she starts telling siri call 911 please i hope none of our series are on (laughs) trigger warning looking Um, over at my phone nope we're good okay But she says that multiple times, and Siri keeps coming back and calling her Bray. And she said, I remember, she just kept saying, I don't understand, Bray. And she said, I remember thinking, it's so stupid now, but I was like, bitch, I've had you for seven years. You can at least learn my name is Bree. (laughs) But she kept doing it, and it kept not recognizing. So she got frustrated, and she just took a second, took a deep breath, and then managed to dial 911 by herself. Put it on speaker and then put it on the stairs so that she could scream to the phone where her address was. So. I think the problem was that she had a seven-year-old iPhone. You know they don't work that long. Siri sucks. (laughs) No matter what, how new your phone is, it's never been good. So her phone is now sitting on the stairs on speakerphone and with 911. They did eventually answer for one minute and 33 seconds. So there's record of this and the recordings have been released. The girls continue to fight for their lives as they're screaming out 850 South Roberta Street. They don't say anything else. They're just screaming, and you can hear it's a scuffle. Like, you can hear them terrified. Yeah. They just keep shouting that over and over. And I can play you that recording because that kind of comes up a little bit after this. Bree then notices as she's screaming to the cell phone, I haven't heard Kaylee, and she's been screaming this whole time. So she looks over the attacker has her on her stomach so he's sitting on her back so she can't really look around her that well but she kind of looks over her shoulder and sees that he's now holding her younger sister up against the wall strangling her and that's why she's not making any noise so he's sitting on brie and he's strangling kaylee against the wall yes oh wow like i said these are two tiny girls they weigh like a hundred something pounds and he's like 210 six foot two wow so once again i will remind you that this entire house is pitch black and they're now in the basement there's 
no window light coming in okay. anymore. As she realizes that he's strangling her sister, he turns around because she's starting to wiggle un- from underneath him because she's like, absolutely not. That's not going to happen today. He also turned around and saw that she was on the phone with 911 and said no and hung up on them. This was a bad thing, of course. However, it offered, because the black screen from the phone call had gone away, it offered her enough light to see what was going on in the room. Okay, right. So Brie ended up managing to get up. She took a few steps back and then tackled him, got a running start, and tackled him off of her sister. And she tackled him so hard. I loved this. She tackled him so hard that she managed to break through the door of the laundry room. Oh, wow. <laughs> They are not getting their deposit back. (laughs) Good grief. Okay, so at this point, now Bree and the intruder, we still don't even know who the fuck this guy is. They don't know him. Bree is now fighting with him, and Kaylee tries to call 911. She successfully gets a hold of them three more times. Again, not being calm, obviously, just telling them, this is our address, get here fast. Please, somebody. Yeah. You know? So how long has it been going on now? A long time. I want to say 45 minutes this fight lasted. Salt Lake City doesn't have any police within 45 minutes? No, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Just hang in with me. Hang right, in with me. So right. this is a really I, long attack and it's I'm brutal. I'm feeling frustrated here. I'm feeling frustrated. <laughs> While Kaylee is in the background calling 911, she gets a hold of him three times, but because she's also beating the back of this guy, trying to get him off of her sister... She keeps accidentally hanging up the phone. So she calls them three times and it's just getting disconnected somehow. Bree, who is now on the ground underneath the man, starts grabbing at anything. She can't see again. It's pitch black. She can't see anything, but she grabs a hold of something. And she's, I think this is a pencil. And so she's like, I'm going to jab his eye out, basically, is what she said in the interviews. But, <laughs> but as it turns out, it was not a pencil. In fact, it was the blade of a five-inch long hunting knife Holy that shit. he was currently holding over top of her. Oh, wow. She At this point, so n- neither up. of them had realized he even had a weapon. They thought it, he was just there to, like, oh, wow. rape them bruise them whatever but so this is when even if he did come there only thinking he would do even if he was only planning to do that that now there's two girls here yeah who are clearly not just going down without fight yeah wow so this is the point that Bree's okay this is really bad we need to get help so Bree told her sister you need to leave and find help he's on me you can run up the stairs and go find somebody just I don't care who it is Scream down the road if you need to. Just find somebody. I imagine that what she really said was, Go get help! Exactly. And then Kaylee is like, I don't want to leave you. Because of course I'd be terrifying. Well, you're not going to be able to help me by staying. So you might as well go get help. I know. And Bree said in her interview. She's just too tiny. Well, Bree said in her interview, I didn't really think I was sending Kaylee to get help. I just didn't want her to witness the murder of her sister. Yeah, and then the subsequent murder of herself. Yeah, because what's he going to do after he's done with Bree? He's going to turn to Kaylee, you know? So Yeah. Kaylee didn't want to leave, but eventually she realized Bree was right. She had no choice. So she runs up the stairs. At the top, Kaylee hears her sister Bree screaming, he's stabbing me, which he was. He stabbed Bree multiple times in the stomach and leg. I don't like being graphic about stuff like this, but because... Brie herself is the one saying this. I feel like she's okay with people knowing. He didn't just do in and out stab motions. He did like twisting, pulling when he stabbed her. And he's trying to basically make her die as quick as possible at this point. So he stabbed her in the leg and actually dragged it up four inches. So 
it's really brutal. That's really, really, really brutal. horrible. Oh. Luckily, in the moment, again, adrenaline is a beautiful thing. Bree said she didn't feel anything. If because they were in the dark, if she hadn't actually grabbed the knife at one point and realized he had a knife, she would have thought she was just being punched. She didn't until afterwards, obviously. Yeah. So this continued for several more minutes. Kaylee's running down the road trying to find anybody she can to come help her out. And now Bree is all over the basement. They're t- tossing, tumbling. She's she's like, still she's holding her own. Around. She's still holding her own. She's grabbing his nuts. She's twisting. She's doing everything she can to slow him down. Eventually, he had her in a chokehold and he had his knife against her throat. And she realized, oh God, he's going to kill me. I have no more fight left. It's been 40 minutes nobody's coming, you know? So she actually felt the motion of his arm flexing to do the deed and slit her throat, but just as he did, a pair of black shoes came running down the stairs in the basement. Here we come to save the day. And originally she thought, oh my God, he has a friend. Like, that's... Oh, I was thinking... That moment of... You, of course, you want that to be the police. Yeah. But but that was her first thought. But if I were her, that might have been my first thought too. Yeah. She then hears a man saying, Salt Lake City Police Department, drop the knife. And it was, thankfully, an officer named Ben Hone. Oh, thank you, Ben, for showing up when you did. <sighs> yes. So the intruder actually kept, the way she put it was he kept playing peekaboo behind her head so the officer couldn't get a good shot. But there was one moment where his cheek was touching her cheek, he said. And he kind of, just to see where everybody was in the basement. And the officer took that split second and immediately bullseye right in the forehead. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Man, that dead is, on impact. That like, is some performance under pressure right there. And in the dark. Right yeah, complete dark. And wow. he managed to get that shot in. Wow, that's amazing. So they later found out this gentleman... Again, loosely. This (laughs) This dildo of a human. Yes. Robert Berger had broken into their house after being on parole, as they always are. Of course he was. And he had escaped a halfway house. He'd actually been watching the girls for a couple of days, so sickeningly enough, he actually did know there were two girls in that house and that he knew to get them to the basement. Yeah, he actually knew the floor plan because they said the basement was hidden behind the refrigerator. If you didn't know it was there, there's no way you'd know to get them there. Well, maybe he went through it when it was for rent. That's true. That's true because they did just move in a week prior to this. So, mm-hmm. Wow. So at the end of the day, girls had called 911 and gotten a hold of a dispatcher four times total. And they later found out the dispatchers never once sent anybody to help them. Why? Because... They could not hear what they were saying, and they did not make it clear that an attack was happening, what kind of service what they the needed. Hell? And I will play you. Brie actually posted on her Twitter audio, just a 30-second clip of her phone call. And if you listen to it and can tell me you did not know that girl was being attacked. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Unbelievable. <laughs> Luckily, Kaylee had found Officer Ben home. He just happened to be there. Oh, my gosh. Just a- a he cop just, just happened to be he was on, on patrol. patrol that night. Holy crap. Completely unrelated. Well, it's a good thing that Bree sent her out when she did. Yeah. Timing was Totally good saved both of lives. And he wouldn't have known anything was going on. One, because they were in the basement. Two, because it was pitch black in the house. Three, because there's a seven foot fence around the entire property. And it's a brick house. It's a it's brick a basement. So they really did get really lucky. It was... I'd say an equal amount of luck and just complete skill and determination on their wow. part because... Wow. Yeah. 
And for him to go off of driving around looking for people running red lights to, to going into a pitch black basement and immediately assessing the situation and saving somebody's life by shooting a bullseye in like, the dark. That guy's cheek was against that's, her cheek and he somehow did not injure her any further. I hope I he received some sort of commendation for acting well, I think so perfectly. In when Bree was telling the story, they really made it seem like they're still good friends with him to this day. Of course. Wow, yeah. That's amazing. After her experience, Brie went on and obviously did a tremendous amount of therapy, a tremendous amount of... And physical therapy. Physical therapy, yeah. And she ended up taking some self-defense classes for women because she wanted to be prepared for the next time. Obviously, she did a pretty damn good job, if you ask me, the first Sounds time. Like she should be but... teaching them. <laughs> well, she actually had a really hard time when she first started taking them because it required her to let other people hold her down again. Yeah. And that just reminded... Give her PTSD. Yeah, to the situation she'd already been in. As she started taking these classes, she learned a pretty staggering statistic that I didn't know, that when being attacked, only around 20% of women actually fight back. Because it catches you so unaware. Yeah. And And I think that's the whole point of self-defense. It's like we talked about in that one episode with the stalkers. mm -hmm. That you may not perform exactly the way you've been trained to perform, but at least it gives your brain somewhere to go. Because otherwise you get panic and it just clenches you. It gives you some muscle memory to go back to if you aren't thinking straight. Exactly. Exactly. It, It gives your body something, some reaction to have. And I think in that... They also include, of the 80% that don't fight back, it's probably people who run away rather than facing the intruder. Which is the smart thing to do. It's a smart thing, but obviously if he's in the room with you blocking your exit, you have no choice. You have to fight back. Round and around and around. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not very fast. (laughs) You would pull out your back muscle. (laughs) and. Wait, can, pause, pause, time out. I don't mean to make light of it. I, no, this is just because it did end so well. Yeah. We can. We're only laughing because we're so relieved that she and her sister are both well, okay. It was such a tense story. And it was 40 minutes. I can't imagine. They always say in when that type of situation, every minute feels like an hour. Oh, I can't imagine. And the whole time, the reason they kept fighting was saying, oh, we called 911. We gave them our address. Help is on its way. Yes. Wasn't. What the fuck? Again, after learning this statistic, Brie actually overcame her trauma, took self-defense courses, got herself loaded up in knowledge, and she later started a business called Fight Like Girls. Good for her. Have you heard of that? Because I feel like I've heard of that. You know what? I may have heard of it too, now that you say that. Where they offer not only self-defense lessons, but also mental lessons. If you're in this situation, count down from this, and then then choose what you're going to do next. Stuff like that. And they just give self-help things because she didn't want anybody else to be in the situation like her. That's. Do you have that website? I think the website is temporarily down right now. She is currently going through a legal trial. I forgot to mention that. With the 911 dispatchers. So oh. I'm thinking that might be why she's kind of not being in the public eye. She's about. laying low at the moment. She's laying low at the moment. I believe. Because that was only in 2019, 2020 they first started this. Okay. So but you yeah. can't go to that website. So you can't go to that website. But just know, Brie is out here making a difference. She is. Doing her part, and I'm sure we will see more to come in the future, but until that legal battle is over. Okay. She does have a Twitter, and she does a lot. If you look up Brie Lasley, it's L-A-S-L-E-Y. She does a lot of really inspiring interviews. I only told you a fourth of what she said in these interviews, so if you want to hear the whole brutally descriptive details, she tells it herself, and she I can't even get through her story without crying, so I can't believe she can do it, but... Oh, my God. 
Well, but yeah, some people just, are just so mentally strong. She's built different than I am for sure because, oh my goodness. Well, she may not have been before, but, you know, you mm-hmm. either let something like that control the rest of your life or you overpower it and you keep going. Mm-hmm. And she chose the second option. Yeah, but, and honestly, without either one of these two girls, neither one would be alive. For sure. Because I think because they both got breaks in between him attacking her and then the other sister jumping in and then tapping out, basically, that probably gave them the stamina to go for as long as it happened. Well, even if one of them had busted out at 15 minutes into the attack Mm -hmm. and, and gone looking for a police officer, he wouldn't have been there then. Yeah. He wasn't there until he was there. That's true. I'd never thought about that aspect of it. So the fact that she ran into him outside. And a police officer of all people, that's the first person she saw. That's just complete coincidence based on the exact time she happened to run out there. The universe wanted them to survive that day. That's all I'm saying. Is that the end of your story? Yeah, that's the whole story. Because when you were telling that story and you were talking about the five inch hunting knife, it reminded me of something that happened when I was in college, when mm-hmm. I was studying architecture. Okay. And I was working almost full time at a fast food restaurant as a manager while I was in school to pay for school. Okay. And I was an assistant manager in the store. Mm-hmm. And I had this guy that on closing shift, two nights in a row, he didn't show up. And so I fired him. I took him off the schedule. And the third night, he did show up. And he shows up in his uniform. And he's like, here I am. And I say, I'm sorry, but you've been taken off the schedule for two no-show, no-calls in a row. Yeah, what did you think was going to happen? Well, apparently he thought (laughs) nobody was going to stand up to him. And he was just going to walk in and work his shift whenever he felt like it. Mm -hmm. So he yelled at me and he cussed at me. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. And, of course, I didn't think he was going to kill me. And he obviously didn't kill me. Right. But he left, and two days later, or maybe three days, it was just a few days after this, I'm reading the newspaper, the Columbus Dispatch, and I see in there this guy arrested for stabbing two people. His roommate and his roommate's girlfriend or something like that. Do you know when in the timeline that was? What do you mean? Did he stab them and then show up to work that day? Or was is that why he was gone for I two days? I think he stabbed after that. So I probably enraged him and he went home and So it was people. your fault. No, I'm just kidding. Well, Mom. I mean, you know, in some sense it's possible that, that, well, that anything, had something to do with it. If you're that deep in, anything can make you snap. You know what I mean? But, but I mean, it's not like I thought it was my fault. But oh, no. Because you can't have employees to just come and go when they feel like it. If they're scheduled, they need to be there. But the guy never struck me as a stabber. You know, I didn't ever like him, but it never struck me as somebody was going to go murder people. Bizarre. How have I never heard that story before? I don't think that we ever had any reason to talk about it. And honestly, I just thought of it because you were talking about that hunting knife. So, anyway. This world's a scary place. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That was the cutest laugh. Okay, so we had a new review that we added on our Instagram and our new Twitter, which we just got on last oh, week. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting about the Twitter already. So the review that we got was given by Miss Boo from the Living Dead Girls podcast. Please go check them out. They're awesome. Yes. And it was really sweet. We had made a comment in one of our episodes because we were video recording that day. Mm-hmm. If we sound awkward, it's because we're awkward. And she just laughed at that. And she said, you guys are You perfect. two are perfect. So 
yeah. And we wanted to thank her. That's such a sweet thing to do. Yeah. And please check out our Twitter and our Instagram at True Crime B&B. And also, don't forget to check out, you heard their trailer at the beginning of our episode this week, but we have two really awesome friends over at Spilling the Crime. Please go listen to them. They are so much fun and they're adorable and we just love them to pieces. Yes. Yes. Check them out on Instagram as well. I believe it's just Spilling the Crime. It is Spilling the Crime. Thank you guys. We always appreciate you being here. We hope that you will subscribe and will rate us and review us. Yeah. If you just simply give us a rating, we promise we will appreciate it so much. And you also can send us an email now because we have set up our public email address, which is truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. That's right. All right. Well, I think that's it for us this week. Thanks for tuning in. Yes. You guys are the best. We appreciate everything about you and we hope you'll be back next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Happy Friday and welcome to Nihilus R Us. Are you already recording? I am. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm I just do never this. know. Hi, Bailey. Welcome back. Welcome back to you, Mother Beth. <laughs> like Mother Hen. <laughs> Alrighty. We're going to tell a nursery rhyme today. I don't think. Yeah, Nihilus telling Ni- nursery, Nihilus. nursery rhymes. <laughs> Nihilus rhymes for your baby. <laughs>